Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Well, we've talked about it time and time again, not just me on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, but the world at large does money buy happiness. And yes and no, right? We all need money uh, for our basic needs, money to live, money to take care of our families. And at the end of the day, the sustainability part of our joy probably comes from a much different place. But we in America here, we have some seriously big concerns about the years ahead. We are uh, entering into a new administration. We're talking about finances. We're talking about the sale of a lifetime, how the great bubble burst of 2017 through 2019 can make you rich. And here in the studio today is Harry S. Dent Jr., who is the best-selling author of The Demographic Cliff. Harry S. Dent Jr., uh, as I just mentioned, is the author of The Demographic Cliff, The Great Depression Ahead, and many other books. He is the founder of Dent Research, which publishes the newsletters Economy and Markets, Boom and Bust, and The Leading Edge, among others. He has an MBA from Harvard, was a consultant for several Fortune 100 companies while at Bain & Company, and lectures widely. Welcome. Harry, thanks for joining us. Yeah, nice to be here, Lisa. Oh, it's it's really good to have you here because we you know we talk about all things happy and certainly happiness and money are are synonymous and we really are still stuck in a crisis in my estimation and in and in, in how I feel what's going on around me talk a little bit about what is happening what is trending well you know one of the first things I discovered and it was working with new ventures in California that that I discovered the baby boom. I stopped consulting the Fortune 100 and started working with growing companies. You know why they were growing in their ladies? Because they were tapping into the young baby boomers, which were driving all the new trends and all the innovation. So I, so I quickly discovered, first, the baby boom generation is massive. And secondly, I discovered, guess what? Government collects statistics every year that tells us what they're going to spend from cradle to grave. I can predict the future like a life insurance actuary by looking at the predictable spending and productivity patterns of new generations like the baby boom. So, of course, I got very bullish from the uh, mid to late 80s on, although I did predict the collapse of Japan because their baby boom peaked much earlier than Europe and the United States, and they had their real estate bubble around the baby boom and their stock bubble, and those all crashed. So I said, hey, Japan is the future, but, man, until 2007, we're golden. Baby boomers are going to keep spending money, especially in the 90s. And, and so – we were able to predict the economy decades in advance. My simplest indicator, Lisa, and this is so simple, it's stupid. You just move the birth index, which I adjust for immigration, which I can do with a computer model, but move the birth 
index for 46 years for the predictable peak in spending of the baby boom generation, and it was 44 years for the generation before that. So they gave us a boom from 42 to 68, and then the economy went down. Well, the baby boomers boomed from 83 to 2007, just as we predicted, and then in 2008, guess what? We're in trouble. Baby boomers mm. not spending money, subprime crisis comes to a head, and we have a global crisis, and, and Europe hit their demographic cliff three to four years after us in 2010 to 11. And so, you know, this is predictable stuff. So one of the surprises in, in my research um, all the way back to the 80s is that long-term trends are actually easy to predict. It's the short-term things like Donald Trump getting elected by surprise, and then bigger surprise, the markets go roaring up instead of down as expected. <laughs> That's hard yeah. to predict. Because in the short term, all types of cycles can hit and political impact. But in the long term, our economy was simply the greatest boom in history from 1983 to 2007 because the largest generation in history was growing in their spending, their income, and their productivity. They're raising their families, and that's when people – that's what grows the economy. And after that declines, as it's done in one country after the next around the world, you're going to see a slowdown in the economy. And, and you can't, you know, governments are just throwing free money at it and, and they're not allowing, most importantly, so I know people that are in the healing industries understand like detox, you know. Um, oh, yes, we do. <laughs> they don't understand that in economics, that, that when you have too much debt and excess investment and, and speculation in the economy, you have to detox. It's like a financial drug. You have to detox it and get it out of your system. And that's what the Great Depression was. It was a great detox of debt and financial asset bubbles and, and stocks and real estate and commodities and everything else. And that detox made us healthier, and, and then we just grew like crazy after it. Well, governments aren't allowing us to deleverage this debt cycle and this bubble cycle, so they've created another bigger bubble than ever after two stock bubbles. Now we're in a second real estate bubble. And, and this book looks at bubbles and says, look, they're not black swans. They're not unpredictable. They're totally predictable. Every bubble in history looks like the Masters and Johnson's um, male orgasm chart. That's exactly what they look like. <laughs> and they build in a certain way. And they have their little blow-off orgasm, which we're in right now with this Trump rally. And then they crash and burn yeah. hard. Men, men don't want to talk after sex. This is why. You know, it's just that's what happens. And people don't see bubbles because they're getting something for nothing. It's kind of like a high. And so when people like me come and say, Wait oh, a minute, Harry, kind of, kind of? It's like <laughs> the dopamine. Dopamine yeah. is, is, is exploding in our brains. You know, when we make money and we're feeling really good, we are having a chemical reaction that is similar to intoxication. It, it is it, intoxication. It is. it is. People are high on this. And, and now the, the only problem is this is more the upper 0.1 and 1% and even 20% college-educated stuff. The everyday person hasn't been seeing progress since 2000. They peaked out there, um, and, and their income adjusted for inflation has been going down. The middle class has been losing ground to foreign competition, whether it's here with immigrants or overseas, you know, or in Mexico or China, doing the same thing we do for cheaper. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not anti-immigration. I'm pro-immigration, especially if we get more selective. Because wouldn't you, if you're going to compete with these foreign workers at lower wages anyway, wouldn't you rather have them in your country, contributing to the economy and paying taxes and all this stuff, than in another country and competing with your wages? And so. Whatever. I think we got the wrong policies right now, and, and I think Trump's going to try to stimulate the economy further when we've got excess capacity around the world, and we really need a detox and to get back down to normal so that young people can invest again, young people can afford um, you know, child care and education again, and older people can afford health care again. These are bubbles, too, and in inflation bubbles yeah. in our economy that people don't realize. And so th we need a detox. I I'm not somebody – I study cycles, and every cycle has its up and its down. Our economy grows in four seasons, just like we do in annual weather. It's just this happens over 80 years, and we're in the winter season, and that is a debt deleveraging, deflationary detox season and 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 you know the universe is not stupid we have these four seasons for a reason and yes people don't like the hot summer or the cold winter but those are necessary in the seasons um you know just like spring and in fall and we're going from a fall bubble boom like the roaring 20s to a winter 
deleveraging or detox like the 30s, and it's going to create a lot of good, but it's going to be very painful for people who don't see it coming. It's that simple. So we're warning people this is not a black swan. People are going to call this a black swan when this crash happens probably later this year or starting and for the next few years when all of my indicators that I've worked on for 30 years turn down. They're going to call it a black swan. It's not a black swan. This is coming. This is a bubble. Like you say, if you're open to it, it's obvious. It looks like a bubble, quacks yeah. like a bubble. It's a bubble. <laughs> and, and yeah, there's no psychoanalysis required Never, of this. one in history. You know, this is fascinating. First of all, I did not know because I'm because I work in sort of the the soft goods here. I did not know that the economy grows in four seasons. I did not know that this that the seasons are an eighty year cycle. So we're looking at twenty year markers. And that's one human and, lifetime. It used to be fifty to sixty when we didn't live long. It revolves around a human lifetime. Yeah, I get it. I get it. We are going to need to go to a break, and I want to continue this fascinating conversation because I, I, I want to give some tools to our listeners of what to look for, what to do, how to hunker down, how to bulletproof, how to ride the waves, if you will. Um, the book that, you, that has just come out is The Sale of a Lifetime, How the Great Bubble Burst of 2017 through 19 Can Make You Rich by Harry S. Dent Jr. He's also the best, uh, best-selling author of The Demographic cliff. And so what we're suggesting is to fasten your seatbelts because it's going to be a wild ride. And for those of you who are a certain age, we're talking about the e-ticket that used to exist at Disneyland. Harry, do you remember those? Yeah. <laughs> we're dating ourselves. All right. To learn more, please visit www.harrydent.com. On Twitter, you can find Harry at Harry Dent Jr., J-R, and there's no period after that. And, you know, he's not a Facebook man. So go to his website, go to Twitter. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if. Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about, about The Sale of a Lifetime. That's Harry S. Dent Jr.'s new book, The Sale of a Lifetime, How the Great Bubble Burst of 2017 to 2019 Can Make You Rich. Ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts because it's coming, and Harry Dent is going to tell us how to manage. Harry, you've got some tools and resources on your website that will be helpful to our listeners. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and especially in this book because – you know, I, I chart it. Look, there's four cycles that really matter long term. It's taken me 30 years. I started with the generation demographic cycles in the, in the 80s, but I've added a geopolitical cycle, which is important, especially to stock valuations. I mean, and, and obviously the last bad cycle started with 9-11 and has been horrific ever since. And we got three more years of this. There's an innovation cycle. There's always innovation, but it's when key innovations like the Internet or automobiles move fully mainstream that it has the biggest impact on productivity and wages and stuff in the economy. And that has peaked 
you know, everybody, you know, like I said earlier, I'm not on Facebook. I can't compete with dancing dogs and cats, but that's what it is. You know, <laughs> it's not, you know, Google and email tripled the productivity of my research business. Facebook, you know, it's fun. My wife loves it, but I don't spend much time on it. And the, everybody's got the Internet now. Everybody's got broadband and, 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 and an iPhone or, or a Samsung or something. And so that has peaked for now. And, and, and then there's a, a decennial boom-bust cycle that actually is driven by sunspot cycles. I don't usually say this because people think I'm crazy. Well, okay. Who predict these sunspot cycles. They have a 20% rise in radiation and rainfall. And this affects people, like, like, the, like you say, the intoxication before people, you know, but I went back, when I heard about this cycle, I went back and tested it 160 years, back to 1850, and 88% of the recessions and in, in, in financial corrections occurred in the downside of this cycle. And then when I looked at major financial crises, like the Great Depression or the, or the 70s inflation crisis or, or depressions back in the 1800s and stuff, 11 out of 11 happen in the downside of this cycle. So all four of these cycles are pointing down at the same time, which is a rare event. It happened in the early to mid-70s, which was a terrible financial crisis and crash, and it happened in the early 30s, the worst crash and crisis in U.S. history. So this is saying the next three years are the most dangerous, and I'm looking at this financial orgasm cycle, bubbles, and saying, man, we finally got this. This Trump rally is the orgasm. It's the final blow-off rally, they call it. And I think it's going to last a number of months. But I think by summer, um, and, and the summer to fall season is when the biggest crashes tend to happen, between like late July and late October is the most likely time to have a big crash like 1987 or you know, 2007 and, and, and 1929 and stuff. And what I warn people about bubbles, Lisa, is that – people get rewarded for staying in them and then it sucks everybody in. But then when it crashes, half of the two to three year crash you're going to get tends to happen in the first two to three months, half of it. Like, I mean, stock can be down 40%, 45% in two to three months. This happened in China last year in late 2015. It happened in Japan in the first few months of that crash in early 1990. It happened in the tech bubble. The NASDAQ crashed that much in the first two and a half months and in the 1929 bubble burst. So if people wait to see if somebody like me is right, they're going to get whacked right off the bat. Bat and, and 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 you know whatever gains they got in the late stage of the bubble are going to be wiped out and more. So so bubbles are very tricky, and people again the point of the book is recognize bubbles. People are in bubble denial, just like a drug addict is in denial. Yeah. If you're getting high, you don't want anybody to tell you you're a drug addict and you need to go to detox. Well, nobody wants to hear about bubbles, but this is clearly, I, I compare this to all the bubbles in history, this is clearly a bubble. The entire boom of 1942 to 68 didn't have any real bubbles in it. It wasn't a bubble boom. The Roaring Twenties was a bubble boom. 1995 to 2007 was a bubble boom. And now governments have artificially kept this bubble going, injecting, what, a lot of money, $13 trillion into the world economy, which is like taking more of the drug to keep from coming down. Not a good policy. No, but, but what is amazing to me is that we're looking at roughly 10 years between the last bubble bursting and this yeah. one. And, and this is because it's been artificially done. Is that what you're saying? It has yeah, not been allowed totally to have a natural 20-year cycle? fundamental trends, especially now that the Internet has kind of peaked up, uh, are increasingly pointing down. They are keeping the economy going on artificial stimulus alone. Again, yeah. just, F just fumes. like taking a drug to get high again. Yeah, that that is amazing. So so what can we do? What can the average person do? And, 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 you know, some of our listeners, you know, don't have a lot of money to invest. They're barely hanging on. They're recovering still. They're continuing to rebound from what happened in 2007, yeah. 2008, 2009. They're just catching their breath. What can we do? Well, you know, it, it doesn't matter the amount of money. It, it matters what you do. First of all, if you got a good job, keep it and be nice to your boss, even if you don't like him, okay? Because not everybody's going to get laid off, you know? And, and, and if you keep your job, you're going to be doing better than most people. If you have a business, small or large, hunker down, cut costs now, focus on what you do best, sell off any assets that are worth more to somebody else now that while you can, maybe a product that's not doing well in your company or something, and create a stockpile of cash and cash flow so you can take advantage and buy out your competitors or buy financial assets in the sale of a lifetime. And individually, 
real estate is what most people own. Some people own a lot of stocks. Some people don't. Real estate has gone went down in the last um, downturn in 2008. We warned about the peak in late 2005. Nobody believed us, and then it happened, and then it crashed. And that's where people got the most hit. So, so unless you're going to stay in a home forever, and, and even I, I, I sold my primary house back then. I kept my vacation house because it's my getaway, and it, and it was going from 25-acre zoning to 5-acre zoning, so I had a bonus there to, to be worth keeping. But I don't, I don't really own hardly any real estate because it's going to go down. Now, when it goes down, yeah. then, I'll, then I'll buy, but people got hit by real estate, and especially don't be in, you know, speculating in house flipping and condos. And people are doing that again, just like they did in 2005 and six. We've gotten back up to those levels. But in stocks, in your stock portfolio, you have to go from, from higher-yield bonds and stocks and real estate-oriented investments into high-quality bonds. In the Great Depression, in what I call the winter season, back from 1929 to 42, the only investment sector that did well the whole time was 30, 10 and 30-year treasury bonds, because they're high-quality, and AAA corporate bonds. They did well, and deflation brought down their yields further, so people got higher yields at the beginning, got better returns than they would have in dividends and stocks, and then their bonds appreciated steadily for 10 years while stocks and real estate and everything else got creamed. So, so you get out of the risky assets, whatever they are, you hunker down in your business or sell it if you can get a good price for it. Now, if you've got a business you can sell and somebody wants to buy it, this is a darn good time to sell it. And then you reinvest. And, and what the book does is it looks at sector after sector. Bonds have another – um, bull market rally coming, even though they've been going up since 1981, because deflation is going to bring yields down even higher, and that's good for bonds. But everything else is going to crash, and then one sector after the next, like emerging countries and commodities, will be the first probably to bottom in the next few years, and then um, developed country stocks, and then um, um, real estate will be the last to turn around. Real estate is the slowest to come down and the slowest to turn around, just as it was in the last cycle. So, you know, we look at saying, look, Cash in now, cut expenses. This is not a time to buy a home, not a time for your kid to buy a home, you know, if they're in their late 20s or 30s and hankering to do that. Wait, and you're going to get a better deal and a lower-cost mortgage later. And stocks, you're going to be able to buy way cheaper. And, and business assets in your business, you're going to be able to buy stuff from your competitors who are failing and simultaneously double your market share potentially and and do it at very low cost so it's a huge opportunity but only if you see it coming and i'm telling you at least i, I wish this were otherwise I, I i'm probably i can only reach about one percent of people most people just will not see it coming no matter what you warn and there are people warning about dire consequence ahead but i you know i'm watching the financial channels all day to keep up with my newsletter and stuff and 90% of analysts say no this is good and you know warren buffett says you can't go wrong buying high quality stocks i'm sorry 1929 you'd have gone very very wrong and 1968 or 72 buying high quality stocks like warren buffett buys warren buffett started his fund at the lowest point in the mid 70s and late 74 uh, in our lifetime, and, and even though he's a very savvy investor, you could have been a monkey shooting darts and, and could have done very well in the same time cycle. This is not going to favor him, and don't listen to Warren Buffett and don't listen to your stockbroker because they're going to tell you it's going to come back. <laughs> they didn't come back after 1929, and stocks didn't come back for 24 to 25 years and get back to the levels after a long-term peak in 29 and 68, and those were both demographic peaks in generational spending, which if I'd have had the tools back then, I could have predicted decades in advance. Well, the, the, the advice that you're giving is certainly sound, and you've got so many resources on your website, which I want to direct our listeners to, which is harrydent.com. You are a Twitter guy and can be found in the Twittersphere at Harry Dent Jr. And the book that we've been talking about is The Sale of a Lifetime, How the Great Bubble Burst of 2017 through 19 Can Make You Rich. And in case you're just tuning in, Harry S. Dent Jr. is also the best-selling author of The Demographic Cliff. Harry, we're almost out of time, but I want to ask you one question before we go, and that is what would be the advice that you would give the young generation? I've got kids in college. Okay, what do you tell them? One. The biggest beneficiary of this detox and deflationary reset, I call it in our economy, is going to be the young generation. 
they can't – if you were to just forget everything I'm saying, if you just buy stocks at this historic high levels of valuations, you wouldn't make any money over the next 10 or 20 years. I mean you'd have like zero returns. Same with real estate. You buy real estate at these levels, you can't afford it or, or get what you need to have the standard of living. So this is going to bring the cost of living and of education and ultimately of health care and child care down and make – your money go farther. So again, and you don't own most of the assets like the baby boomers do. It's going to be the baby boomers, and it's going to be this very 0.1 to 1% that, that Bernie Sanders and everybody said has gotten most of the gains, and they have in this bubble boom because they own all the assets. They're going to be hit the hardest. And this is what happened. In 29, the top 1% owned 50% of the wealth, but, but that went the other way. And by the early to mid-70s, they only owned 25% of the wealth. So the middle class grew. So, so the young generation and the middle class is going to benefit from this. And, and again, all you have to do is make sure you don't get whacked by it. You know, make sure you're not owning too much real estate and you're not in stocks and risky assets so you don't get hit on the downside. And then suddenly you're going to turn around and be able to invest uh, at better rates again. And things, and you're not going to have these ever escalating education and healthcare costs and student loans and stuff. All of this stuff's going to be wiped out and reset. And that's why we have the winter season. That's why it's the detox yeah. season. And it's necessary and, and it happens once in a lifetime, and since nobody's around that was living in the Roaring Twenties bubble and the early Thirties bust, there's nobody to tell us about this. I, I only know about it because I study history in depth. Except Harry S. Dent Jr. You're <laughs> the only one that knows about it. We are out of time. Harry, congratulations on this book. I think it's a great read, and you've got great advice in there. And I just urge everybody to keep your eyes and ears and heart open. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, there'll be more. Here come the tunes. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. I have the great pleasure of hosting T.R. Reed in the studio today, and we're talking about his new book, A Fine Mess, A Global Quest for a Simpler, Fair, and More Efficient Tax System. T.R. Reed has become one of the nation's best-known reporters through his books and articles, his documentary films, his reporting for The Washington Post, and his light-hearted commentaries on NPR's Morning Edition. T.R. majored in classics at Princeton, served as a naval officer during the Vietnam War, a lawyer, a teacher, and assorted other jobs. At the Washington Post, he covered Congress and four presidential campaigns. He served as the paper's bureau chief in Tokyo and London. Reed has reported from four dozen countries on five continents, and today he's hanging out with me. Welcome, TR. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, Lisa. Great to be on your air. Uh, I've, I've been called a lot of things. I don't know that I've ever been called brain food before, so I'll take it. Yeah, well, th this is this is what we do here. We're serving it up every week. And That's what you've good. written about in your newest book, A Fine Mess, really is on the hearts and minds of everybody right now. Taxes, taxes, money, money, yeah. money does make us happy only to a certain degree. And we're looking to hold on to as much of it as possible. You know, that's such, have you done work on this? Does money make people happier? 
you know, I've had a couple of bestsellers, so I now have money for the first time in my life. But I was just as happy when we were a struggling young family with three beautiful kids. I don't know that I'm any happier now that I'm rich. Ha. Well, there has been significant research, not mine, but a lot done. I think it's the work of Dr. Ed Diener. Um, he researched money and the, and, and it shows that having our basic needs met only up to a certain point does buy happiness. You know, having a roof over our head, food, clothing, basic medical care, the opportunity to have a little bit of a break in, in our schedules does make us happy. But somebody who is comfortable versus a multimillionaire or billionaire is not a billion times happier once they achieve it. That's true. I think that's right. I've told my kids, if you kind of design your life so that it costs less than your income, then you're pretty happy. You can be pretty satisfied no matter what the level of lifestyle is. If you can meet it with your income, then, you know, that's a, that's a step to happiness. I I agree. Ultimately, happiness doesn't come from the greenback. It comes from a whole host of other things that you and I could probably have a whole other hour to talk about. But let's talk about your book. I want to talk about the, this um, tax system and the tax code and, and, and what this new administration is hoping to do and what is the reality and what is the, your, your suggestion for a solution. Well, the point of my book is the United States, it's a great country in many ways. We're the richest, strongest, most innovative, probably freest country in the world. But, you know, in some areas, our health care system is, is like third rate, and our tax code is terrible. It's inefficient. It's unfair. It's incredibly complicated. Americans spend six billion hours a year just filling out tax returns just to pay their taxes, Average family at the median income, about 56000 according to the IRS, they spend about 30 hours compiling the data and getting their taxes done. They spend hundreds of dollars on tax preparers. In other countries, in the Netherlands, average time to file your state and federal tax, 15 minutes. In Britain and Japan, the government sends you a card and says, here's what you owe. If you think it's right, you check the box, you're done in one minute. So my argument is we could have a much better tax system if we were willing to look at what other countries have done. Well, and I also think that Hong Kong has a very clean flat tax as well. Well, Hong Kong has what they call a flat tax, but then they, they have taxation to the Chinese mainland. They have very high sales taxes. You know, about 12 countries have tried the flat rate tax where everybody pays the same rate. Uh, this this is an idea that had some appeal. Many Republican presidential candidates have been for it. And I went to the countries that tried it, including Hong Kong. Sadly, Lisa, it doesn't work. You just can't bring in enough money. You can't set the rate high enough to bring in the money you need, but still low enough for an average working family to pay. So countries that have a flat tax, like Estonia or Hong Kong, then have to raise other taxes very high. Uh, Hungary, for example, the sales tax on everything you buy is 27% because they can't raise enough with their flat rate income tax. Mm. So I think maybe it works for a country, a a young country with a starving economy. I, I just don't think a flat rate tax would work in the United States where we have such a disparity of income. You need that tax code to work out the inequality and to bring in the money we spend for government. Let's talk a little bit about the necessity of paying taxes, because I believe that we all should contribute. I think it's okay. We live here. We reap the benefits of this great country. and, and, And something has to be paid, because if we don't buy in, then we take then we don't appreciate what it is that we have. What do you think? Well, um, we all use the stuff that taxes pay for. Let's see, highways, parks, playgrounds, schools, courts, coast guard cutters, air traffic control, auto safety, the patent office, the food and drug administration, old age pensions, libraries, collecting the trash, clearing the snow, putting out forest fires, printing money, battling ISIS, issuing passports, catching crooks, we all want those services, and you got to pay yes. for them. 
Yes. So what what is what is the solution in, in your mind? What what makes good sense? You know, I went to the World Bank when I started this book and said, what countries have a good tax code? And they're the experts and they know. <clears throat> and here's what they said. Here's the magic formula, Lisa. BBLR. You broaden the base and lower the rates. And what that means is everything is taxable. If your employer pays your health insurance premium, well, that's income to you. That's taxable. And then no deductions. Everything, you get taxed on everything. And if you do that, then the system becomes very simple. You can file the return in five minutes, and you can set the rates very low. You can set the rates very low. New Zealand, for example, it has no mortgage interest deduction, no charitable deduction, no education deduction, none of the stuff that we give breaks for. And the top rate there, the highest rate for the richest people is half of what a median income family in America pays. They raise more money at much lower rates. You finish your return in 10 minutes. And because the rates are low, people pay. They don't, it's not worth their while to hire a lawyer to figure out a way out. So broaden the base and lower the rates. Get rid of all the giveaways and exemptions and loopholes. And then you can sharply cut the rates. And guess what, Lisa? We did it. In 1986, we cut the top rate of income tax from 70% to 28% and brought in the same amount of revenue because we got rid of all these deductions. And then guess what? In the next 20 years, the lobbyists came in and added them all back in, which is why our top rate is now over 40%. This this is really interesting and, and, and not something that many Americans know about. And I want you to explain this in greater detail. We're going to need to go to a break in a, in a minute or so. Um, and when we come back, we'll carry on that conversation. But what I hear you saying is that at one time we had it, now it has slipped away, and now we're confronted with a, with a revision or a hopeful re- revision in the tax code. But the, the belief is that it's only going to benefit the rich at, at this point. Yeah, I, I don't think Congress can get away with that. I think there are certainly people in Congress who would like to write a tax code that's big break for the rich because that's where their contributions come from. But I think the demand for serious across-the-board tax reform is so great that they can't get away with that this time. Uh, what's happened in American history is every 32 years, we throw out our tax code and write a new one. And last time we did that was 1986. Guess what? That's 31 years ago. So the time has come for a major change. And that's why I wrote my book, because the, uh, what I'm saying is, if we look at how other countries have made it simpler and fairer, we could do it too. Of course we can. You know, there has to be a, yeah. a, 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 a will and therefore there will be a way. And so let's talk more about it. We're going to go to the break. When we come back, we'll carry on the conversation with T.R. Reed about his new book, A Fine Mess, A Global Quest for a Simpler, Fair, and More Efficient tax system. To learn more about T.R. Reed and his work, please visit his website at www.trreed.net. And on Twitter, you can find him and connect with him and tweet at him with the handle at the real T.R. Reed, R-E-I-D. We're going to take that break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappyatharvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, 
and emotional stability. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we're talking about our tax system. And um, my guest today is T.R. Reed. We're talking about his new book, A Fine Mess, A Global Quest for a Simpler, Fairer, and More Efficient Tax System. So, T.R., before the break, we were talking about some of the other countries around the world that have a more efficient uh, tax code and tax system where, whereby we pay our taxes in, a, in, a, in the tick of a postcard, right? It's checking something off. Yes, you mail it in. In a few minutes, it's done. Whereas in America, many of us are spending uh, dozens of hours, and I'm in that category myself, uh, preparing, for the, preparing for the accountant, not even preparing for my taxes. Yeah, that's right. Americans spend average family about 30 hours getting everything ready and average family spends about $260 just to have somebody pay their taxes. Uh, since I've been writing this book about taxes, I've been doing my own taxes for the last three years. And so here I am in early April, beautiful time. I ought to be out at my kid's soccer game or something playing golf. And instead I'm dealing with IRS instructions. Here's a beauty. How about this one? Go to part four of schedule one to figure line 52. If the profit has qualified dividends or has a gain on lines 18A and 19 of column two of schedule D as refigured for the AMT if necessary. You know, just your average April day. Wow. If you even understand what that means. Who who does? Nobody does. And I might point out. This is not the fault of the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service. Congress writes the tax laws. And then members of Congress, every year they call in these poor IRS bureaucrats and tell them off because our system is so complicated. But Congress wrote the law. IRS is just doing what Congress told them to do. So if you're mad about your tax return and how hard it is, blame your congressman. It's not the fault of the IRS. (laughs) In your book, you talk about policy laboratories. Talk a little bit about that. So my theory is I I was a foreign correspondent for the Washington Post. And what I decided my job was, was to look and see what these other countries were doing right that we might learn from and what they were doing wrong that we should never do. And it turns out that for many areas of American life, like healthcare, for example, I wrote a book about healthcare around the world too. Uh, other countries have done some things better. We could learn from them. And for tax, every idea that anybody has had, right, left, far right, far left, to fix our tax code, some country has tried it. So there's good policy experimentation on every idea. And I went around the world just to see which of them work, which of them don't work, which ones we ought to adopt. And that's why I say the rest of the world is our policy laboratory. They already tried out these ideas. So, in other words, the the, um, the information or the structure for a, a good tax code for the United States already exists. We need to pay attention, draw on these best parts from other countries and move forward. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, We were talking about how hard it is to file a tax return. You know, I was in Amsterdam uh, on March 31st. The tax day in the Netherlands is April 1st. And I was with a a mid-manager, makes about 200,000 a year. You know, he has two mortgages. He has kids in private school. He has all sorts of investments. This guy would have to fill out 12 different forms in the United States, some of them six pages long. And I was with him the night before his tax was due, and I said, Michael, how do you file your taxes? He says, I set aside 15 minutes a year to pay my state and federal taxes. 
let me see, how do you do it? So he pops a beer, he goes on the Internet, and the government has filled in every line of the form for him. If the numbers look right, he hits OK, and he's done in three minutes. But this guy says to me, he says, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like you Americans. I don't trust government. So, you know, sometimes I start checking the numbers that they've filled in, and now he's getting really mad. He says, you know, doggone it. Sometimes you start checking those numbers. It can take almost half an hour just to pay your taxes. <laughs> I wish. And you know what? It was only half we an hour. We do that, too. The IRS could fill out the tax return for about 80% of American households. They know all the numbers. I don't know if you've ever gotten this, Lisa, but there's a letter you get from the IRS called a CP2000 letter. It's not an audit. It's a correction. And here's what it says. It says, on line 43Q, you entered $4,211. It should have been 4631 And I get this almost every year. And I'm thinking, well, if they already knew... Why did I spend hours trying to fill out the form if they had it already? And they could do this for 80% of us. They could fill out the form. You check it. If it looks wrong, well, then you fix it. But if it's right, you say, okay, and you're done in five minutes. We could do this. And when this is proposed in Congress, guess what, Lisa? H&R Block lobbies against it. Yeah, they'd be out of business. We do more work. They make more money. That's the drill. So... What I think I'm hearing you say is that the accountants around America are the ones who stand to gain when the status quo remains or lose once the tax code is revised and simplified. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I think that's true for H&R Block, the tax preparation service, and for Intuit, they make uh, the tax software. Those companies would lose, but... In response to my book, thousands, hundreds of thousands of accountants and CPAs have written me and said, you're right. You're right. We'd rather spend our time on something more useful than digging through these or arcane tax rules. So I think most accountants strongly see the need to simplify this. As I say, many other rich countries have already done it. We could do it, too. And you said that this uh, would affect 80% of Americans. The other 20%, who falls into that category where they wouldn't be positively affected by the simplification? Well, everybody would be simple, would be uh, affected. It would be easier even for those when the IRS doesn't fill your return. But, for example, the IRS knows how much you were paid. It knows all your investments. It knows all the gains you made on sales and tax. It knows how much mortgage you paid. It doesn't know how much you gave in charitable contributions. So people whose charitable contribution um, is above the standard deduction, that's maybe 30% of Americans, they might have to fill out a return because the IRS doesn't know those numbers. But generally, for most of the stuff we do, the IRS already knows all the numbers. They could fill out the return. It would be easier for us. There'd be a lot fewer mistakes. And when they suggest this in Congress, as I said, H&R Block and Intuit lobby against it. And what about small businesses, those people who, you know, are, are on their own, they're solopreneurs, they're, uh, there's a lot for them to juggle, especially a new business that has a lot of startup costs, you know, expenses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I qualify. I'm an independent author. I qualify as a small business and a small employer by IRS terms. And, oh, man, it is so complicated. It's so difficult figuring everything out. And the rules are outrageous. And none of this is necessary. It could be vastly simpler. It is vastly simpler in other countries. What happens is every interest uh, that wants to get a tax break gives a contribution to Congress and then says, Here, here's what we want in return. Um, and the result is we have this vast hundreds and hundreds of tax breaks. You get a tax break in America for taking a night school course, growing sugar cane, replanting a forest, insulating the garage, <laughs> paying off a mortgage, destroying old farm equipment, employing Native Americans, commuting to work by bicycle. That's the bicycle industry's work. Uh, there are hundreds of them, and they 
they make us raise higher rates to get the tax we need, and they make the whole system much more complicated. And what we've seen in many other countries, as I said earlier, is this BBLR, broaden the base to lower the rates. Get rid of all those giveaways. Don't give a guy a tax break for throwing away an old tractor. And then you can get the form simpler and the rates lower. Got it. I I, I hear you. I yeah. mean, it, it it is very yeah. complicated. But then you know you're talking about a solopreneur that has a a cadre of part time employees or team members that come and go. Are you are you suggesting we not get deductions for that? No, no. You should definitely be able to deduct the expenses you pay for your employee. I don't. There's no problem with that. You're talking uh, about the extras. Cost, yes. Is disposing of an old tractor, is that a cost of a business? Yeah, maybe. Get this one, Lisa. If an American buys a $138,000 BMW hybrid car, you get a $7,500 tax credit for buying a, high, a very expensive German car. Who, who, who can justify that? I mean... That that's in there because the hybrid car lobbyists had power in Congress. Uh, I mean, suppose the president said, "I'm going to send seventy five hundred dollars to anybody who buys an expensive German car." It would never pass Congress, but if it's <laughs> if it's offered as a tax break, well, then everybody's for it, and that's that's one of the problems with our tax code. It's full of these breaks that could never be justified if they stood alone. We are out of time. T.R. Reid, congratulations on your new book, A Fine Mess, A Global Quest for a Simpler, Fairer, and More Efficient Tax System. It's a great read, everybody. You need to educate yourself. Education is power, and power is, in the good sense, is part of what makes us happy and feel in control of our lives. To learn more about T.R. Reid, please visit his website, www.trreid.net. On Twitter, you can connect with him at the Real. T.R. Reed, you have been a pleasure and opened my eyes certainly to um, other parts of the world who have it easier than we do in the tax department. That's for sure. And we could do it, too. Thanks, Lisa. Of, Great to be Of course we can. Great to be with you. Here are a Thanks. few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing guests today, Harry S. Dent and T.R. Reed, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of Consciously Curated Talk Radio from the Heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Tokinet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.